0: check out JoinColossus.com. All opinions expressed by hosts and podcast guests are solely their own opinions. Hosts and podcast guests may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions.
1: Today, we will be breaking down Invisalign. Founded in 1997, Invisalign pioneered clear aligners as an alternative to metal braces. Today, Invisalign generates over $2 billion of revenue and accounts for roughly 20% of the orthodontic market. To break down Invisalign, I am joined by Nick Greenfield, CEO of Candid. Nick co-founded Candid in 2017 as an e-commerce solution to teeth aligners. Candid now offers a broad range of clear aligners and teeth whitening solutions across retail, e-commerce, and the professional market. Nick's experience in the industry makes him the perfect person to break down Invisalign. We will dive deep into the origins of the business, the unique relationship between Invisalign and orthodontists, and how litigation as a strategy strengthened Invisalign's control of the market. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Nick. All right, Nick Greenfield, CEO of Candid. Welcome to Business Breakdowns. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. So today we're going to break down the business Invisalign or Align Technologies. Let's jump right into it. What is Align Technologies and give us a sense for the scale of the business?
2: Align Technologies is a medical device company based in San Jose, California, started in the late 90s, and has evolved from being a medical device player who makes a product that you would know as Invisalign to a multi-product, multi-pronged business that operates internationally across the states and sells really three core components. Their clear liner system, which has been around for over 20 years. The intraoral scanner they sell today, which is called the iTero scanner. And then lastly, they also have a new product that they just purchased called ExoCAD, which is really a pure software company.
1: Go a little bit deeper on the first product. What is Invisalign? What problem does it solve and help us understand the opportunity that it solved when it was started?
2: So in the late nineties, Zia Chisti and Kelsey Wirth came up with the idea that rather than using wire bracket braces to move your teeth in a full orthodontic case, You could use a clear liner or a piece of plastic instead. And the idea that was by using this piece of plastic and using every different mold across the stage 20, 30, 40 stages that you would get Invisalign today and you know you're in it for a year, they could customize and make the movement much more precise and much more predictable. And they used 3D printing. It was really one of the first applications of true 3D printing in medical devices. And today, fast forward over 20 years, I believe Invisalign is the largest 3D printing company in the world by an order of magnitude. So they are just absolutely massive as a business in terms of what they do, both from a revenue and from a scale standpoint. This year, we'll probably do over $3 billion in revenue, but also from the fact that the medical device innovation that they pioneered in the late 90s and have continued to focus on is quite remarkable.
1: I want to go back to their founding story in a second. Before we do that, beyond revenue, what other ways do we think about the scale of the business? Like how many patients do they see roughly per year? What are the doctor's offices are they in? Just give us a sense for their footprint.
2: The terminology in orthodontics is case starts. And the number of case starts that Invisalign is doing on an annual basis has gone from less than a million just five years ago to well north of 2 million and approaching 3 million annual case starts in 2021. So they're going well north of on an annual basis, some years up north of 30% depending on the year. It's a pretty remarkable size and they're compounding pretty consistently. And that's in the US. Of course, if you look internationally, they're also growing and many times growing faster than 20 or 30% in markets like China. Invisalign has shipped individually to over 100,000 doctors in the last year. And that core market today is really, at least in North America, the orthodontist, which represents about 60 percent of their case starts. But they also have a very broad base and a long tail of general practice dentists that are also purchasing from Invisalign. However, given all of that, the market is still dramatically underpenetrated, which is why there's such a great market opportunity today. The average doctor's practice today on the ortho side will do well over 100 case starts for traditional orthodontics. Many of those doctors are doing a few hundred. And they'll submit anywhere between 20 and 30 percent. Some of them do 90 percent, but for the most part, the average doctor utilization rate for their practice is about 20 to 30 percent Invisalign cases. And there are some practices that do a thousand plus Invisalign case starts in a year and are paying upwards of a million dollars, usually between a few locations. There are many orthodontists who are also just doing wire bracket braces. And I think the opportunity Invisalign has is not just to capture more of the traditional orthodontic side, but to actually grow a practice itself. And then after going deeper in that orthodontist market, they can go deeper in the general practitioner market. And they have the opportunity to capture market share on the international front as well. You're looking at a market like Brazil or a market like China, which have anywhere between a million and and reports of north of two million case starts a year alone. And you see the opportunity both domestically but also internationally just continues to grow even more and more. The big question that I've always wondered is why is it that most dentists are doing very few orthodontic case starts? Why doesn't a dentist just put those wire brackets on you? Why do you have to go to a specialist? And the reason is that historically, when you go to dental school, you may do one day of orthodontics. Most of your time is going to be spent drilling and filling, learning about cavities, learning about oral anatomy, maybe even learning about hygiene. But orthodontics is really a specialty and orthodontists tend to do two, three years of residency before they even go off and practice on their own. And I think if you think about where that puts Invisalign, that means that Invisalign as a solution for even the general practice dentist, is a pretty unique beast because it's something that they've been able to train into some number of practices where maybe 10, 20% of Invisalign trained GPs now feel really comfortable submitting dozens and dozens of cases a year. So if you reflect back and look at the fact that Invisalign is selling to general dentists, they're selling to orthodontists, they're selling in the U.S. and they're selling internationally, and they're selling a slightly different product in terms of the case complexity to a dentist who is really just doing simple cases versus an orthodontist who's really replacing many of their wire brackets cases with Invisalign, you can see all the different market opportunities that this business has in front of it.
1: Sounds amazing. We're going to unpack all the stuff that you just chatted about. Let's go to something super basic, though. What is orthodontics? Explain for those who don't know, what is that? How many people need it a day? Who are these people? What's the size of the market?
2: So dental is an absolutely massive market, and it's a market that people don't know that much about and has done a great job of staying out of the purview of traditional healthcare. There are over 150,000 active practicing dentists in the U.S. alone It's about an $800 billion annual consumer revenue business globally. So you're talking about one of the largest healthcare markets. And in terms of cash pay, healthcare is also potentially the largest cash pay healthcare market in the U S.
1: And if you double click into orthodontics, how big is the braces market?
2: Yeah. So the braces market today in the U S is estimated from a consumer revenue standpoint to be somewhere around $25 billion, but expected to double over the course of the next 10 to 15 years. So it's a pretty large market just in the US. And that number internationally is a little bit larger. There are about 12 million orthodontic case starts globally. And that number is growing at double digit percentage as well.
1: Wow. Two questions. The first one, what do people expect for why that market will double?
2: The market will double because three reasons, really. The first is that Invisalign and other clear liner companies Candid, Spark, which is a product by a former Dan subsidiary called Invista, Supply Sorona, which was at one time the largest company in dental. All of these companies are rolling out their own clear liner solutions and systems and distributing them to their dental partners. And so the market is just growing in terms of the supply side. The second is pricing. From a consumer standpoint, historically, orthodontics have been very expensive. It's one of the three most expensive items that a parent will pay for for their kids, which today represents about 75% of case starts are still in that teen and youth demographic although that number especially for a company like Invisalign is changing and evolving Invisalign is now doing a significant number of teen cases that number at times has approached their adult case starts although adult is still predominantly their bread and butter and so what you see in that world is from a pricing standpoint there are consumers who are now able to access a lower price point product and so when you now have products like Candid or Smile Direct Club on the market which are quote unquote direct to consumer They're taking the cost out of the system. And the unit economics, which we'll get to of Invisalign, are fascinating if you talk about what it costs to produce the product and what it then costs to buy the product as a consumer. And so that gap is one of the reasons why there's going to be growth in the market. The third is really just international underpenetration. If you look at a market like China, where you had north of a million case starts, and there are two companies that really have penetration in China, Invisalign and another company called Angel Align there are probably 10, 20, 30 million annual case starts alone in China, in the teen market that could happen in the future, let alone the entire adult population. And so you have a whole slew of dentists and orthodontists who need to be trained over the course of the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years on how to do orthodontics. And once they know how to do that, and then know how to do clear aligners, The market growth will follow. And so there's a long leading indicator, which is how many doctors are actually trained on a system like Invisalign. And once they're trained on it, they start selling it. They start seeing results one, two, three years in, they start scaling up what I would call share of chair, which is the percentage of case starts they're actually doing with a clear liner product like Invisalign.
1: There's more supply of clear liners. It's cheaper. And there's a bunch of people that don't have great teeth internationally that will be an opportunity. One funny question I've always wondered, having read a little bit and understood the space is, despite Invisalign's success, they're only 20% of the braces market. So there's still rubber bands and metal going on people's teeth all the time. From your perspective, what's the reason for that? Is that true, I guess, first of all, and what's the reason for it?
2: I mean, historically, it's been 10, 15% up to 20% today. You talk to the top performing orthodontists in the country, their share of chair with Invisalign or other clear liner solutions like Spark is going to 25, 30%, 35%. And COVID is really an accelerant to that. The only barriers that you have to going 100% clear aligners historically have been certain teeth movements, which you just couldn't do with plastic. And we won't get too much into the anatomy during this conversation, but that was really the limitation. Today, those limitations barely exist. You talk to some orthodontists, they do 100% clear liner case starts. And that allows a doctor to run a much, much more efficient practice. And so the cost of goods is much higher in a dental practice when you buy a product like Invisalign. But you can see way more patients and do way fewer office visits. And so you can drive a much more profitable practice.
1: Just to play it back, the reason it's only at 20% today is really that historically they couldn't solve all the cases. And now that's gone away.
2: Yeah. And there's inertia. There are orthodontists today who are in their late sixties, who are still practicing, who said in 2000, I'll never use plastic. And the new generation of orthodontists come online as there's a trend in dental, much like there was in broader healthcare, of corporatization of dental. And so as more and more of these corporate dental groups, which today make up about 20 25% of dental, say, hey, we're not doing wire brackets anymore. We're going 100% clear liners because it is a much more profitable strategy. You're going to start seeing more and more of that growth. And so we expect that between 2025 and 2030, you'll certainly pass that 50% threshold and the ability for an Invisalign system to handle 75, 80, 90% of case starts is certainly there today from a clinical standpoint, but doctors tend to be, especially in the ortho space, a little bit slower to move. And a lot of that has to do with seeing the clinical results for different types of movements. And it also has to do with the cost of goods difference between buying a set of brackets and wires and buying an Invisalign system.
1: Take us back to the late 90s. Some entrepreneurs are starting this business. You and I are both entrepreneurs. Where was the market missing? What was the problem solution they were solving and how did these two things go up against each other? How did this sort of become an idea that then ended up winning or will win? The key
2: insight was computer aided design to move teeth would allow one company to 3D print and then adjust people's teeth with computers. And so just like web 1.0 and web 2.0 and software really taking over the world, this is another instance of that. We're using software to move teeth has actually the key innovation and differentiator. You combine that with the power of custom manufacturing through 3D printing. And the idea was, how do you take these clear liners, these pieces of plastic, and predict within 0.1 millimeters exactly how somebody's teeth are going to move and print a tray that's just a little bit Ahead. And when you put it on your teeth, it's going to just slightly shift your teeth enough so that your bite will align after 20, 30, 40 stages and using computers to predict how that's going to move. And the idea was we're going to sell it through a dental practice. Align went and they went really aggressively at onboarding hundreds and hundreds and eventually thousands of dentists to sell the product. And so rather than selling direct to consumer, they believed that by selling like a traditional dentist sells to that end consumer that they would be able to make a product that would be recurring revenue product and scale have gross margin advantages over time.
1: And when you say dentist you mean orthodontist, right? Dentist and orthodontist. Both of them. So the old orthodontist used to come in, put some wires on your like how did that process work? It sounds all manual essentially. And then can you break down the economics of the difference between the two for the three parties for the seller of this, for the dentist and then for the consumer?
2: The dirty secret about orthodontics is that it's a really good margin. It's an incredible margin business if you look at the actual cost for everyone in the entire value chain. And that's why you look at an orthodontist and they're charging $5,000, put in wire brackets, they're stapling that onto your teeth, you're coming in every couple of weeks and they're cranking it up and moving things around and all of a sudden your parents are out $6,000. You look at a two dollars $300 product that's sold to the end consumer for five or $6,000 and it makes sense why your town orthodontist is working four days a week and driving around in a Porsche and playing golf.
1: How much do the materials cost of a traditional orthodontics? A couple bucks.
2: You're talking about all in for buying the wires, getting the brackets for the traditional product. The price is compressed dramatically down to about 200 $300 to start a case. So nothing you're talking about very, very, very little. The labor cost is really where in an orthodontic practice, that's where all the cost is. If you're an orthodontist, you will have a real estate footprint. You'll have a number of dental assistants. You may have a hygienist. You'll have lots of different things going on. And now if you're an orthodontist who's enterprising, you'll likely have an Invisalign or a Clearliner coordinator in your practice whose job it is to sell and manage all of those cases. And so what happened is Invisalign came in and they said, well, we're gonna charge you 900 or 1200. Or today, if you look at Invisalign's pricing, it's really, it goes up to 1800, 1900, $2,000, but we're going to make your practice much more efficient. The strategy behind Invisalign is remove the putty or the impression material that you need to do to take the impressions of your teeth, turn those into CAD files We're going to get rid of that, though they still accept them. They use an intraoral scanner, which is a fancy wand that you wave around your mouth and takes 3,000 photos per second. It's a $30,000, $40,000 machine that the doctor has to buy, but it makes their practice more efficient. And then they sell really on average about $1,200, $1,300 for a case rather than $300. But then the doctor just marks that price up to the end consumer. So the average price to a consumer is about $5,500 for Invisalign approaching $6,000 today. And so if you think about the gross margin, you have Invisalign, which is a 75 77% fully loaded gross margin business, selling a product to the end consumer for $6,000. And you see, one, a tremendous amount of opportunity to reduce that waste and expand the market. But two, a really, really valuable mid-20s EBITDA public company and a bunch of doctors who make a ton of money. And the doctors were really enterprising who figured this out are selling many, many hundreds of cases with way less staff, way less overhead, and they're open fewer hours because they're able to do all of those cases with six, seven, eight, 10, maybe 12 office visits, where before with wire brackets, your labor costs are much higher. And so you were doing it at 20, 30, 40 visits to
1: a traditional orthodontic practice. So Nick, sorry, you mentioned that some dental practices are paying them $1 million a year. So what does that mean about what the orthodontist is making in that situation? Like, help us understand the economics of an entire practice built on Invisalign.
2: A top tier GP practice, so that's your normal run of the mill dentist, will operate around a 25% EBITDA margin if they're really operating efficiently. But there are orthodontists out there who are making 40%, 50% plus from an EBITDA perspective. So orthodontics is definitely a highly profitable business.
1: And Invisalign, we talked about earlier, I'd say 20, 25% of the overall braces market in the United States. Prior to the candidates of the world and Smile Direct, so let's say four or five years ago, what percentage of the clear aligner market did they have?
2: 95%. So Invisalign had core intellectual property in the space.
1: How did they get to dominate this? They're 25% of this big market, 95% of the sub market. I mean, that's an amazing market position. How did they come to dominate that market?
2: So when Invisalign patented the idea for computer-aided design of moving teeth, it turned out that that patent was going to hold up. And that meant until 2017, no one else could really enter the market. But there was litigation before then and a number of companies who tried to do it. And there's a fascinating business case study to be written all around Invisalign using litigation as a strategy. But first, litigation was used against Invisalign. And that's one of the things that I find most fascinating about their business strategy. There was a Danaher subsidiary, which today is a public company called Invista. They had a similar patent and used litigation when Invisalign was a public company. They ended up settling that lawsuit in 2009. And Ormco, which was the Danaher sub, which is now Invista, got a 10% ownership stake in the company. And really, from all accounts, had the ability to buy this company at pennies on the dollar, especially if you look at their market cap today, nearing $50 billion. The stock was trading down 10, 12 bucks at the time. And instead, they settled the lawsuit, case was dismissed with prejudice, and Invisalign held this monopoly power as companies hold in the medical device and the pharma space of a patent. And that came again when Smile Direct Club launched And Smile Direct Club was in market. Invisalign famously sued Smile Direct Club to get an ownership position and then was actually countersued and lost that ownership position right before Smile Direct Club went public. It happened when Invisalign sued a competitor, when Invisalign acquired an intraoral scanning technology called Cadent, rebranded it as the iTero scanner, and there are a number of competitive players out there, but Invisalign has used litigation to slow down their largest competitor. And so if you look forward on how Invisalign is thinking about and dominating this market, they really wielded their intellectual property power and their robust patent portfolio, 400 plus patents. But it was all about what was going to happen in 2017.
1: I want to hold off on 2017 because I want to ask you, IP and litigation as a strategy seems like one way they came to dominate. Another one I know is vertical integration. Can you talk a little bit about how they vertically integrated and any other major ways that they came to dominate this clear aligner world?
2: Invisalign invented 3D printing for clear aligners and really was the first, and it continues to be the largest 3D printing company in dental. They just do a massive amount of printing of these aligners. And what they did in the early 2000s was they recognized that they weren't able to automate every component of that. Today, if you built a 3D printing clear liner manufacturing facility, as we're doing it candid, you're going to go with automation at day one. But at the time, they couldn't do it. And so what they did is they built a large facility in Juarez, Mexico, just across the border from El Paso. And this allowed Invisalign to produce and scale automation over time and dramatically reduce their cost of goods. And so a line today has gone from making parts at $10, $12 per tray that you get for Invisalign down to sub $3 to make a single part, which means Invisalign can send doctors tons and tons and tons of trays. And orthodontists today like to do longer cases because they can charge their patient on a monthly basis. Invisalign, by having a massive cost of goods advantage, specifically on their ability to make a ton of clear liners and an extremely low cost, far lower than anyone in the market, has built a moat around longer treatment plans, more complexity, and they've continued to innovate on that.
1: The vertical integration piece of it, it sounds like they almost there was no technology to support what they wanted to do. So they went out and basically built it And that made them very important to the orthodontist in the value chain. And then now you're saying that's even given them a bigger scale advantage in terms of their cost structure.
2: It's a virtuous cycle and it's an intellectual property advantage as well, because if you think about the fact that they now have 20 plus years of history in 3D printing medical devices and automating those components at each step along the way, they've been able to patent different components. So those patents, some of which are very broad, some of which aren't usable. It just makes it harder for other players to actually come in. And knowing how litigious the line is, people have to be very careful about the strategies they use when rolling out a nuclear liner solution.
1: When you look back at it, are there other things they did that have generated such a strong competitive advantage, like anything interesting in orthodontist distribution or brand? You mentioned the NFL. Like, are there other areas that you think are noteworthy?
2: Three core areas that Invisalign did well. The first is historically in dental distribution, you'd rely on a distributor. There are two or three really large distributors in dental Henry, Schein and Patterson. Invisalign built their own sales force. So Invisalign took it on the chin and said, we're going to build our sales force from the ground up. And they built a robust sales force, which today is probably the most talented and distributed network of people who are now the sales leaders at many of the other companies in dental, grew up in the Invisalign world. So that's component one. Component two is they vertically integrated inside of the practice. And what that means is they bought an intraoral scanning company, Cadent, which became the iTero. And that scanner directly connected to Invisalign's own system. So they were able to have a doctor take a scan and within 48 hours, 72 hours, generate for a doctor a treatment plan, dramatically reducing the time needed. In dental, usually you would take an impression, you'd send it to a lab, a couple of weeks later, you get something back. Invisalign was able to use their own intraoral scanning technology to really allow the doctor to much more quickly and much more easily and seamlessly see what was going to happen and how the teeth were going to move. The third thing they did was create an entire industry in digital dentistry in Costa Rica. So Invisalign went down to Costa Rica and set up an entire digital treatment planning shop to reduce the cost of labor. They hired hundreds and now thousands of dentists who are doing all of the digital computer-aided design work to set up all the treatment plans for the American and Canadian orthodontists. They've now scaled that treatment planning capability to China, they've scaled it across over into Europe. So they have locations in Spain and Germany and they're using this digital treatment planning and computer advantage. And the fact that they've done many millions of cases to feed data back into their system so they can continue to use an integrated AI driven way of moving. teeth.
1: They own the technology that scans the patient. They're having dentists produce it in a different country or look at the treatment plans. They own the trade. They can produce a trays cheaper than anybody. I mean, they really consolidated against the market. Did they ever consider just totally taking over the orthodontist job? Like, did that ever come up or was that ever tried in the market?
2: There are theories in the history of what Invisalign wanted to and still wants to do. And the question of, well, why not move up the value chain in terms of capturing more revenue? Why not buy a bunch of orthodontic practices and run it yourself? And in fact, Invisalign experimented with retail locations. And because of litigation with Smile Direct Club, had to actually close those retail locations. So I think if you look at Invisalign's business and the market cap growth that they've seen, if you look at Joe Hogan, who's the CEO, who's been highly strategic in the way they've done things, they recognize that their growth vectors are international, they're growing deeper in the GP channel, and they're growing deeper in owning share of chair. And adding a fourth vector in terms of getting a little bit closer to the consumer by owning the practice risks alienating the golden goose. And so I think we've seen Invisalign try direct to consumer. They do direct to consumer advertising to drive awareness. But as a business, they're doing just fine focusing on their core channels. And there's a whole host of other companies who are going downstream and lowering the cost and invisalign doesn't want to risk the ability to really control price in their strategy and so i think there are a few things that they could do but the risk probably isn't worth the reward
1: one thing we didn't talk about in terms of economics we talked about the doctors economics for invisalign they're charging 1200 bucks let's say on average what's their pnl look like in terms of gross margin and other major item categories
2: so invisalign is pretty consistently 25 to 30% ebitda business Extremely strong gross margin profile ranging from 73% to 77% on an annual basis. Sometimes they're investing in growth. Sometimes they're running promotions. Last year, as an example, they used last year to dramatically accelerate their business when others were pulling back. And so they offered promotions to doctors, brought that ASP down. The core, most important thing to understand is what does it cost a line to produce a tray? And today, a line is producing trays for a whole lot less than the competition. I'd estimate they're producing at about $3 a part, which means on a 40 to 50 aligner case, just for the aligners themselves, they're paying about $150. But then they have some shipping costs. They've got it to get across the border. They might have some other tariffs if they're shipping internationally. There are treatment planning costs associated with that. And if you look at the full gross margin of the business, you could estimate that it costs them between $250 and $300 fully loaded to get that product into a dental practice.
1: What are the major buckets of cost between 75 in gross profit and EBITDA?
2: Software engineering. So Invisalign likes to think of themselves as a software company. That's where their origins are. They have the iTero scanner and the whole R&D component that needs to go in there. They have general R&D investment that they make across their facilities and their expansion opportunities across markets like China, Poland, in Spain. I'm sure they'll open in every continent. They'll have locations and they have a pretty large sales and marketing team. So Invisalign sales reps visit their territories, visit their doctors, and they're in person in the office and clinics selling all the time. And so Invisalign definitely follows the motto that you see. If you think about the pharma sales strategy, Invisalign is definitely doing that and they're in the
1: practice all the time figuring things out. And you mentioned the iTero scanner multiple times. Do they sell that? Is that a revenue line item or is it just the aligners?
2: the itero scanner is a big time revenue item as are the associated cad cam services that go along with those it's a multi-hundred million dollar annual revenue business the margins aren't as good on the scanners as they are on the aligners themselves but they are improving the margins there and you'd think hey we could sell this as a loss leader but if you look they're selling this product at 30 40 50,000. Now, of course, there are some large group dental practices that figure out how to group purchase things, but ultimately, Align has this other growth vector along the CAD cam and the scanner business that are really important to not only the growth of their aligner business, but also just the growth of their business as a whole. The intraoral scanners themselves can be used for a variety of services. And as a dentist or an orthodontist, you're going to be using that scanner ideally for orthodontics, but you can also use that for restorative procedures. And Align has certainly growth opportunities there as well in the future.
1: You've mentioned this a couple of times, concept of share of chair. What is share of chair and why is it important for Invisalign in the industry?
2: In an orthodontic practice, share of chair means what percentage of cases are going to one specific company. So if an orthodontist is doing wire brackets and they do 80% wire brackets and 20% Invisalign, Invisalign would have 20% share of chair in that orthodontic practice.
1: The reason that this is important to Invisalign is... Growth. It's all about growth. If you have 20% share
2: of chair and that number should be 100%, you can 5X your business in that doctor's practice. And not only can you 5X the business, but Clear is given that they're so far superior to wire brackets in terms of the profitability... The doctor will likely be able to do more case starts, reinvest those dollars into marketing and growing their own practice. And so there's a virtuous cycle with doing more clear aligners in your practice and being more profitable and then reinvesting those dollars. And so a business like Invisalign can harvest all of those dollars over time. That's why folks are so bullish on Invisalign and on the clear aligner space in general is that it is so dramatically underpenetrated at a 20% share of share
1: of all the cases out there what percentage can Invisalign or invisible aligners handle today
2: today you'll talk to some doctors who do 100% of their case starts with clear aligners so that number is means that 100% of cases can be addressed with clear aligners you talk to other doctors who are very bullish on clear aligners and they say well 90% of cases can be handled with clear aligners that number used to be 60% 5-10 years ago and has come up to this 80 to 90% number, there really are some complex orthodontic cases which do require to really get those final movements done or some of the initial movements that are just way harder. They do require something extra. They require an extraction of a tooth or they require some level of additional intervention with some wires and brackets. But for the most part, you're talking about 90% plus of cases that can be handled with a clear aligner system.
1: And given that Invisalign owns so many pieces to this value chain, It's become more and more automated over time from what I'm hearing you say. And then you say, well, only 20% of the cases of, say, 80, let's say, just to be conservative. It almost seems like they have a distribution problem. You could definitely
2: argue that they have a distribution problem. I think you could argue that they aren't good at getting doctors yet to sell the product, especially general practitioner dentists. Or you could argue that it's really still early innings. And this is still a relatively new technology. Most orthodontists have been out there practicing for 10 years or more and maybe are resistant to change. I also think that there is a perception risk in the industry of whether or not this works still, which is pretty incredible given the clinical data that we've seen at Candid and we've seen across the industry on the impact of clear liners and the ability to do most orthodontic cases. And so I think you could say, yes, Invisalign may have a distribution problem, but I think ultimately there's still early innings here and, and there's a long way to go for the industry as a whole.
1: Having learned about this space, not to offend any orthodontists out there, but it doesn't seem like the orthodontist is necessary. So why not use dentistry, normal dentists or other types of offices to distribute this and scale that? I think to
2: understand the direction Invisalign has taken, you really need to go back in their history of oscillating as a system for dentists and a system for orthodontists. And today they sell to both. But ultimately, Invisalign's core business owner And core business constituent is the orthodontist. And they have geared their business around making sure that that orthodontist can sell a product that fundamentally needs an orthodontist. And they've done that by the way that they cut their aligners, the way they've innovated, and the intervention needed throughout treatment that an orthodontist has to provide that a GP dentist may not even be trained to do. And ultimately, as the system gets more complex, as Invisalign can take on more and more complex cases, that means the orthodontist continues to be a really important focal point. Now, one of the risks that Invisalign has long term is somebody comes in and figures out how to do those movements and really the more complex rotations and compound movements that you see in traditional orthodontics. And they can do that without needing the attachments, without needing the IPR, without needing the extractions that you need in traditional orthodontics where Invisalign is playing today. And I think that's really one of the bigger risks here. So I don't see a world where we get rid of the orthodontist. In fact, I think the orthodontist is enhanced in the way that they can do things. Things, but I think whether things happen in the practice or whether you're able to do more of these things remotely becomes the next phase of innovation in the space.
1: So, dentist is not an opportunity for them.
2: The GP dentist is harder, and Invisalign limits the types of cases that GPS can actually treat. They've historically oscillated between being an ortho-focused business and a GP-focused business. But as a GP. It's very hard to actually know how to do all of the complex movements because orthodontics, is, it's a specialty. There are 12 specialties in dental. And orthodontists, many of them don't even consider themselves dentists because there is a real science, but there's also a real art to ortho. So most of the Invisalign cases that started in GP practice are very simple, what we call social six cases, which is really just moving your front teeth to align your smile.
1: So it's a $3 billion revenue business, six, seven, eight hundred million in EBITDA. If you look down the five to 10 year horizon and the valuation of this business doubles, what would be the biggest drivers of it?
2: It seems to double every couple of years. I think the big drivers here are entirely growth oriented. Can they grow their top line while maintaining the EBITDA profile that they've had without getting too ahead of themselves on costs? And the growth drivers will come internationally in a market like China, where they're probably 1% penetrated. And if you look at the number of dentists versus the number of orthodontists in China, that ratio is probably three, four times lower than it is in the States, because orthodontics is a relatively new field that requires new development and new training. And so China will have to develop their orthodontists over time, right? They've developed as a country. Over the last 20, 30 years, in terms of their medical field, but orthodontics is going to take a little while to catch up. Latin America, another huge opportunity. Any market where you have GDP and per capita GDP scaling, the first thing people want to do is take care of their teeth. It's incredible. You look in the credit card space and you look at what people spend money on, they get a home equity line of credit and then they get orthodontics for their kids. So there's a whole adult market of people in places like China or in India, where you are dramatically underpenetrated. You have people spending $20,000 plus for products like Invisalign in Japan. And you see the prices coming down, you see more specialists offering the product, and then you see the teen market as the next frontier there. You have adult and teen and huge international growth and opportunity, and the business could easily double or triple internationally if competitors don't come into the space and eat their lunch in those different places.
1: So international is massive, it sounds like for them. is In China, or these other countries, are they considering a different distribution strategy? Like why wait for the orthodontist if you're them? Why not just go in and go direct to consumer?
2: They're training thousands of dentists every single year in China and training them on how to use the Invisalign system. The level of complexity required, really there's only a handful of top, top tier orthodontists now in China. Invisalign is helping to cultivate more folks to understand how they can use the system to go deeper. The product is more expensive in China. The average selling price in China is closer to $7,000 to the consumer and Invisalign does sell more in China, at least historically, at a slightly higher price point. So it is a Chanel type product in China. It is not a mainstream product like it is here in the States today.
1: What are other reasons that the business doubles in the next five years?
2: Share of chair, 20% to 40%. It's right ahead of them. There's a huge opportunity to just go deeper and own more of the orthodontic practice.
1: And what do they need to do to accomplish that?
2: They need time. They need to prove that the cases work in those markets. They need to show the orthodontist that they're able to do that level of complexity of movement they thought was only possible with wire brackets. And they need more orthodontists to complete residency who come out and do clear liners during their residency program rather than just doing wire brackets.
1: And let's flip the question around. So if in the next five or 10 years, their market cap gets cut in half, what happened?
2: I think competition comes in and dramatically slows their growth rate. When you look at a business that is annually compounding between 20 and 35 percent and is sitting at a 25 to 30 percent EBITDA margin, you know that more competition will enter the space. And if you look forward 5, 10 years from now, ultimately, there will be more competitors who take market share and today if invisalign holds 90% of the clear aligner market share even if they own 75 or 80% of that in 10 years they're still gonna have grown tremendously. I think the risk is that somebody comes in with a far better solution and they're able to deliver that product at a significantly lower price, which means Invisalign is sitting on 20 or 30% market share in five or 10 years. And if you think about those growth vectors that I talked about, international, the growth of the CAD CAM services, the opportunity to grow deeper in the GP channel, and the opportunity to go deeper in terms of share of chair, If none of those materialize, or you have a player like Dentsply Sirona or Strauman, these are 10, 20, $30 billion dental players that come in and can actually build a better solution for those end practices, then I think these are the risks that an Align faces. So there's definitely that historical strategy business school case around how do you position yourself in the market to take market share from Align, and then Align obviously fighting back
1: themselves. Nick, you've referred to them in the industry a few times and orthodontists aren't the hugest fans of them. You know, as a consumer, everyone's always smiling and happy and it's almost like the Intel inside. It's you said the brand is very well known. How does that work in the industry? Can you talk a little bit about the sort of dichotomy there?
2: Look, I think anytime you're a doctor and you're cutting a $500,000 check to a single company every year, you're going to have mixed feelings because you love having the supplier, but ultimately you feel like, hey, I'm such a big customer, I should be paying less. And Align has done a really nice job. If you look at the way they've maintained their average selling price across their business for the last five years plus, they've done a really, really nice job of holding steady on saying, hey, look, this is the value that we bring. You can play with us or you can not do clear liners. and Align definitely has the position in the market where they're the market leader and that's what consumers are coming in and asking for in their offices. And that takes me to the consumer, where if you look as a consumer, and Invisalign is advertising on the NFL and they're doing all these big time marketing campaigns, you're going to come in and you're going to ask for the Xerox, you're going to ask for the Kleenex, you're going to ask for the Uber and ultimately you're going to ask for the Invisalign, which today is the brand. And so when you walk into an office, you might be getting a different product. You could be getting a generic or you could be getting a product like Candid, which is a completely different service, but also a teeth straightener. Ultimately, this is about finding a way to have a product that's 10 times better than the wire bracket braces were before.
1: You mentioned 2017 and I stopped you earlier, but now let's talk about 2017. What happened in 2017? And how has it changed the marketplace completely? And then how do you envision that looking forward from here?
2: The original patent that Invisalign had in 2017 expired in the fall of 2017. And there was a whole hedge fund thesis that there were going to be tons of competitors coming into the space. 3M had an aligner system they announced in 2017 or early 2018. InVista was launching a clear liner system ClearCorrect, which is a company owned by Strauman, another huge dental company, was launching a system. Everybody was getting into the space, and people thought that Invisalign was a commodity. They thought that the digital treatment planning was a commodity. They thought that the product itself and the aligner solution was a commodity. What they missed is that it's not a commodity. The fact is that it is really hard to get digital treatment planning software right. And that is today, outside of the, the penetration and the clinical demonstration that Invisalign has a 20-year head start on. It's all about the software. They do have many, many millions of cases on all the other companies. And so here we are, four years, five years later from when that thesis really started to bubble up. And Invisalign has five, six X their market cap as a business. They've grown their revenue from a you know, billion dollars to three billion. We'll see could be closer to four billion this year.
1: What's the market share? You said in in 2015, it was 95%. What does it look like today? Yeah, the market share today is in that
2: range still in that 90, 95% range, especially when you look globally. There are more and more doctors who are offering different systems, but no one really is anywhere close to where Invisalign is from a penetration standpoint. And Invisalign continues to accelerate growing in that consistent 25 30% every single year. And so even for a new startup to come in and do a couple hundred million dollars revenue in that space, Invisalign is still growing faster. And so their ownership of the market relative to everybody else is still way, way ahead and likely will be at least for the next few years. Smile Direct Club is not taking market share from Invisalign. Smile Boy Club is spending hundreds of millions of dollars across five years on advertising. They're creating a completely new market on the low end of segment. They're doing very different types of teeth movement. And so they're creating just a completely different business that didn't exist before, which Invisalign can try to play in, but it's an incremental opportunity that is probably just as the same size in terms of growth that we've seen how quickly it's gotten there. This could be a an industry that's the same size as the one Invisalign is going after, which is why there's so many people who are so bullish on the clear liner space.
1: What's a good analog of like, it sounds like a luxury product. It's like air travel at some point, And then it's like introduced Southwest. And it's like, okay, well, that's a totally different group of people who would have never flown before, never been on first class, but now they're leveraging it. Are there any interesting analogs in the industry you guys refer to often?
2: Look at kind of the advent of the cell phone or even like Android penetration, Android, you had a smartphone and you've got Apple and it's expensive and it's sexy. And it's really the first really great one that comes out. And then Android goes out and effectively copies a bunch of those features and then figures out how to put it on a much less expensive device and offer almost the same number of features with the same level of functionality, gives it away for like $30. It's a really, really inexpensive product. And so what Smile Direct Club is doing is not really cannibalizing and dramatically reducing the price because they're really going after a different market and a candid we're going after a market that's kind of in between the two. There's so much room to go in how large the space is and so many people who want to straighten their teeth, 100 million people plus in the US alone who've indicated based on surveys that they want to straighten their teeth. There's just going to be different strokes for different folks.
1: So it sounds like competition, I mean, you started that as one reason they could be less valuable. Is there a real competitive threat there? And what could unseat Invisalign? What could make Invisalign 20% of the market share of clear aligners?
2: Somebody comes out with a better system. The level of attachment that doctors have to Invisalign is also partially based on their loyalty program, which is a brilliant program, which highly incentivizes doctors to submit more cases because they'll ultimately get better pricing. And the more they spend, the better the pricing is up to a certain point. I think the only reason people will switch today is if they see a system is clinically better or they figure out a way to get a better price. The last component there is if a system is fundamentally different and solves a different pain point in the market. And today, there haven't really been that many systems that have come out and been different. Most of what's come out in the market today has been a me too. So in the same way Invisalign was able to make the Practice much more efficient than wire brackets. Somebody could come in and offer a clear liner solution that makes the doctor 10x more efficient. And that's going to make them more profitable. And that's going to make them want to switch. So I think there's a combination of pricing opportunities, which we really haven't seen much pricing competition in the space. And there's an efficacy.
1: But if you're Smile Direct and you're taking the underbelly of the market, then you guys are in the middle. And then these guys are the premium. Why not just launch a premium and charge $1,000 less so and go direct to consumer around the orthodontists?
2: Uh, there are companies that have done that. There are companies who've tried to do that. And it's just hard to get to the level of scale that Invisalign is at and do it profitably in a direct to consumer marketing mentality. Because the real advantage that Invisalign has over some of these other players is their ability to just dr- manufacture at dramatically lower costs and produce way, way more aligners to be able to take on more cases. Invisalign has the data now to show that their system really works across almost every case type. And the thing is that that took them 20, 25 years to get to. A lot of other companies are probably going to get there in two or three years. And so to the efficacy point, if you can go with an automated manufacturing system from day one, if you can get good distribution and you can offer a competitive price and the doctors like you, which actually turns out to be a really important component of of the dental practice, you actually have an opportunity to take a lot of market share. And there's one company that has started to do that, which is a company that sells an old wire brackets product, which is called Invista. And they launched a new aligner system. And by all reports, they're already at North in double digit percentage of overall clear aligner case starts today in the orthodontic practice only in North America only. And they have strong relationships with doctors. And so having those relationships is really, really important to actually being able to take share in this category.
1: What about the guys like ULab who are printing the stuff and giving the tools to the dentist or the orthodontists to just deploy right in the thing? I think they're selling software and hardware to essentially let the orthodontists
2: ULab is a really interesting product. So it was started by a couple of guys who worked at Invisalign who actually tried to start another clear aligner company and were litigated out of existence in the mid 2000s. So they waited until after 2017 and then launched a new system for orthodontists to roll out their own system. And they could do it in their practice. They could 3D print their own aligners and they had their own treatment planning software. By doing it themselves, they could make parts at half the cost of what they would do from buying an Invisalign product. But what they neglected to understand is that there are only a certain percentage of specialists who really, really care about the art of making your own aligners and the art of really doing your own treatment planning design. And that is a time-intensive process. They've done a good job of shaving some of that time off, but most doctors want to order the thing from Invisalign and then go back and see a patient and not have to worry about the consequences of the aligner not working, manufacturing it themselves. And so companies, even companies like ULab are starting to think about centralizing their own manufacturing because the future of doing your own 3D printing, while it's all the rage today with some orthodontists, the reality is Invisalign and other companies have such a software advantage and such a scale advantage that you're not necessarily going to get better patient results unless you're doing it for very, very simple cases.
1: Beyond competition, are there any other major threats to the business in the next five to 10 years? There's one innovation
2: item, which is the holy grail of orthodontics. And you can bet that Invisalign is working on it. And there are a lot of other companies that are working on it as well. It's the direct 3D printing of aligners. So today, the way aligners are actually made is you 3D print a mold of your teeth. And then you do what's called thermoforming, which is heating up plastic and putting that on top of the aligner and molding it to what your teeth should look like in that stage. And then you laser trim around the edge of the aligner. And now you have an aligner that you can put in your mouth after a few other steps. And that aligner is fully biocompatible and good to go. But what that means is you have to build a big manufacturing facility and you can't just make the parts. Well, 3D printing will continue to evolve. And at some point you'll be able to directly 3D print an aligner. And when that happens, that's when every orthodontist should have their own printer. And you'll come into an orthodontic practice, get a scan, and you'll walk out the door with your first stage of aligners because you'll be able to 3D print it. Innovation in software and innovation in direct 3D printing are probably the two biggest competitive and technology risks to a business like Invisalign. And if somebody can figure out how to do that and do it more quickly, they can legitimately offer a product at a much better gross margin at half the price or a third the price of what Invisalign is offering to their doctors today and making it much more appealing to a doctor to leave the Invisalign system versus the $100 or $200 you see from most of the competitors today.
1: You and I have been in the internet tech world for a while. Normally they say, don't patent your IP that's not really a thing you do, it exposes your IP, it does all this. In this case, it seems like they did it, they patented it, and it was extremely, a huge advantage for their business. What's different about this world that enabled that?
2: Healthcare. Healthcare is a different business model. Pharma, medical devices. These are companies where tens to hundreds of millions of dollars are raised. Even companies go public before they have revenue while they're in clinical trials, investing in and going deep in developing a product. And they're rewarded at the end of that with patent. And that patent allows them to protect their intellectual property for 15, 20 years while they're in market. And Invisalign is at its core, a medical device company. Intellectual property and patents are really important. Invisalign has hundreds and hundreds of patents. All the other dental companies have hundreds and hundreds of patents. And they wage and use these patents against each other as trading items. They go to war against each other. They sue each other. There's litigation. Through and throughout the industry in ways that you couldn't imagine. Invisalign isn't a traditional software company. It's a medical device company, and therefore IP is really important. There are other types of companies in healthcare. So there are scale companies, a player like United Healthcare, who purely can throw around their scale and they can just dominate whatever industry they're in, or Cardinal Health, which can buy products or create products at far, far lower cost than anybody else can, and then distribute them because of their scale. And then you have service based companies. And service based companies are the hospital or that great doctor with the five star reviews who you want to go to because you know, when you need knee surgery, that doctor knows exactly how to do it and they're going to get you a great result. So there are opportunities that exist in the clear liner space across all three of those. Today, Invisalign has no longer that intellectual property moat. That intellectual property lane is now wide open. Now they've shifted to being the scale player. And I think there's continues to be opportunity in that third vector, which is driving better outcomes and doing it at a lower cost.
1: All right. Last three questions that we always ask. Lessons for builders, lessons for investors, and then places for further study. So let's start with the Nicks and the Jessies of the world. What are the lessons for builders and entrepreneurs from the Invisalign story? Don't
2: underestimate market size. When you're starting a company and you look at how big that market is and you realize that it is a $20, $30 billion market today. And then you look at a company like Invisalign and you realize, wow, they could do 10 $20, 30000000000 billion a year in revenue, not even owning half of that market. You realize that you can build a new product and service that can dramatically increase the size of the market. And I started my career at Zimride, which became Lyft. And we learned that where the taxi industry in 2012 was a $9 billion industry in the US and today is growing The taxi industry itself has shrunk a little bit, but between Uber and Lyft, the gross bookings are significantly above that. And so if you create a much better product that solves a patient pain point, and you can do it at a price that makes sense in that industry, you can dramatically grow the size of a market even when it's already a massive market. What about lessons for investors here? Don't short a growing market. The chairman of Candid, Brett Shaheen, who was a partner at Lone Pine, one of the largest hedge funds, what he says in healthcare Is in these healthcare markets, when things are growing, it's really hard to figure out if the winner or who you think is going to be the winner is going to underperform and their competitors are going to catch up really quickly. There are new competitors and new entrants that have come into the space in 2017, but trying to guess Invisalign's Growth over that time period would have been nearly impossible because people didn't truly understand the size of the market and they still don't truly understand just how big the opportunity is. And so you need to be really careful, especially in healthcare, about shorting companies and shorting stocks if you don't deeply, deeply understand the market and deeply understand the consumer of that product, which a lot of folks in 2017 who got dramatically burned over the last four years fundamentally didn't understand. There are going to be multiple winners in this category because the category is so large. And so because Invisalign's intellectual property moat is gone and the scale moat that exists just isn't quite a moat, there will be multiple players that probably build billion-dollar-plus revenue businesses in this category over the next 10 years. And that doesn't necessarily mean that Invisalign is going to lose, but it does mean that there will be many, many other players that figure out a way to play in this market. And there are a ton of untapped and greenfield opportunities that exist.
1: And if somebody is listening to this and wants to learn more and study further, where would you guide them to go?
2: There's an interesting podcast out there called Dental Town with Howard Fran. And Dental Town has recorded, I think, nearly a thousand podcasts with dental industry experts. Everyone from Joe Hogan, the CEO of Align Technologies, to Bob Fontana, who is the CEO of the largest DSO in the country, a company called Aspen. And there are lots of interesting things that are happening in the dental space and specifically around Invisalign. And people tend to be really candid with him about their experiences and what they're looking at and what they're working on and telling it like it is to the dental audience.
1: All right. Well, Nick, this was super fascinating. I can't imagine we could have found a better person to talk about this world than you. Thank you so much for coming on Business Breakdowns. Jesse, thanks for having me and see you soon. I hope you enjoyed this business breakdown of Invisalign. I always enjoy learning how a business builds defensibility over time and grows its market share. I was really struck by Invisalign's vertically integrated strategy and its willingness to defend its IP. I can't wait to see how this industry grows and evolves over the coming years.